Good morning. It is a pleasure to be here. This has been coming for some time now. Uh, we were contacted while we were in Senegal uh, by your missions committee, and you were desiring to pick us up, and we said, no, we don't, we don't want their support. Um, no, we, we were glad, and uh, we're thankful, and uh, it's neat. Uh, we've known the Vickery's while we were at uh, United Baptists of Old Town, and now they're over here. They, they've contacted us. Also, we found out while we are here that we have uh, someone we serve with and we're in church with over in Senegal that you guys supported, uh, Lois Clark. Uh, that's a neat connection. It makes us feel somewhat already connected to you, and uh, we're thankful for your desire to support us. We're very encouraged. Uh, looking forward to getting to know, know you all better and for you to get to know us. And in that vein, I want to just share a little bit about us. Uh, so we are a family of four. We have two girls, uh, Grace and Faith. Grace is uh, 22 and married and living in Stratham, New Hampshire. And Faith is 19, and she just started a Word of Life Bible Institute. So this will be empty nesting for us. We're just starting this, this thing of empty nesting. It's been easier to go out and visit our churches, but at the same time we miss having the company of those girls with us. Uh, the other thing is we were appointed in 2004. It took about four years for us to raise our support to go out. Uh, we went then to France for a year and a half of language school, and then we've been in Senegal for the last 13 years. Uh, actually, I was calculating it out of the last 15 years, including France. I think it's only been four years out of 15 years that we've actually been in the U.S. So uh, when people say you're coming home, uh, I love New England. Uh, I, I love these banners up here. We, we crave that when we're in Senegal. The life that you, you see outside your doors and your windows, we don't get to see. We live in a country in uh, West Africa. It's Senegal. It is sandy, it's hot, it's dusty, um, the culture is a little hard, and, uh, but uh, God has called us there uh, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. I'd also like to share, I know it's already been shared, but the table back there in the very back is there for your pleasure. It has pictures of the ministry, it also has a sign-up sheet for our bi-monthly email update, so if you'd like to follow us and pray for us or know how to pray for us, please sign up back there. Also, there's a prayer card back there with our pictures so that you can make us the refrigerator. I've been called the refrigerator man, so you can put us on your refrigerator to help remember to pray for us. But also, I will share this. We just shared with a church, and I'll share it with you now, that we don't get updates from our churches. So sometimes we don't know what's going on with you guys. And don't hesitate with that email to shoot us off and say, hey, you know, this is going on in our church. Would you pray for it? or even this is going on within my family, please pray for us. We'd be glad to do that. We appreciate. We've always said since the very beginning that the finances will get us there, but the prayers will keep us there and make us effective. Without your prayers, I don't believe, even the Apostle Paul uh, pleaded for prayer, for boldness, and the ability to do the ministry. So again, thank you so much for this opportunity to be uh, in partnership with you in Senegal, West Africa. And I think Brett already mentioned that we'll be doing a, afterwards uh, during the Sunday School Hour a uh, presentation where you get a deeper in-depth and then have a few, uh, an opportunity for a few questions. So this morning what I'm going to be sharing with you is something that's really, I preach from the heart. I'm, not, I'm a mechanic, a welder, and a machinist, so I'm not a preacher by, uh, by uh, vocation. 
Uh, but I, I tend to preach on those things that are really are my passion. And um, so this morning, it's gonna be, I'm going to be preaching a sermon on worldview and why it matters. And let's dive right into Scripture. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, so right after Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, uh, 15 through 20. He is the Im- image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is, the, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray before we dive into this. Father God, um, we come before you this morning, and Jonah already expressed through the poem, and I've heard it in others, appreciation for all you've done for us and do for us. You've brought us through another year. You have provided for us. You've blessed us. You've kept us safe. You've met our needs. And on top of that, uh, we have your word available to us in our own language. We have the freedom to come together to lift up praise and worship to you. And we have this great gospel, the saving grace through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray now as we, um, well, as they listen and as I speak your word, Lord God, that you've laid on my heart, I pray that you would guide, the, guide my lips and my words, Lord God. Give me the, the ability to share uh, your truth in a way that pierces your people's hearts and empowers them for your good and for your glory, Lord, that uh, your kingdom might advance. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, not being a, uh, a preacher, I'm going to rely on, on, I'm going to steal from the Apostle Paul a lot. And uh, I also believe that when in doubt, go back to the Word of God. And so I'm going to rely a lot on that. And this morning, I'm going to be pointing out how the Apostle Paul leveraged worldview to share the Word of God. And you're saying, well, how does that tie into Colossians and Christ's preeminence. Because of God's preeminence, Christ's preeminence in everything, it said in that verse there, he holds everything together. Every breath we take is a gift from God. Every beat of our heart is a gift from God. Um, We don't exist without him, and he holds all things together. But before we dive into worldview, I ask, what is worldview? Does anyone have, you can be interactive. I like interactive. What is worldview? It's okay. I, I went, what's it, go ahead? Philosophy of life. Philosophy of life. It even goes deeper than that. Um, this, is, this is out of the dictionary because 
Um, I don't think I could word it better. Worldview is a collection of attitudes, values, stories, expectations about the world around us, which informs our very thought and action. Worldview is expressed in ethics, religion, philosophy, scientific beliefs, and so on. That's a, that's a great definition. But I like to bring it down where I can understand. I don't know about you. I need things down here where I can grab them. Because when you put it in big words, sometimes it goes over my head. So I think, think this really, for me, gives, gives an understanding of worldview. And it was in a uh, field meeting we were having with our field, and it was a young missionary couple that had been on the field about a year. But before they left to go to Senegal, they had shared with their young son, we're going to Africa for a long time, but then we'll be returning to the United States. And so during that year, the son was okay with that, you know. We're, we're in Africa, but we're going back to the United States. Well, time went on, and the child began to get frustrated with his parents. He began to act out and be angry. And finally, one day, he got it in him. Boy, he was just full of it. Got in front of his parents. You lied to me. You told me we were going to Africa for a long time. And it has been a very, very, very long time, and we haven't come back to America yet. So you could say one, one hint, don't say that to your children. <laughs> but the point is, was the child wrong? No. From a child's perspective, a day is a long time. A week is an eternity, a month they can't even imagine. And yet, the parents didn't think about it when they said a long time to the child. They were looking at it from their worldview. Life had a totally different, and I can tell you, I'm better than double the age of those people, and my perspective is totally different than theirs. A year goes like this to me. And, so, and I heard that when I was younger, and I didn't really grab it. I didn't understand it. I couldn't, because it wasn't I, I didn't have the experiences that the other people had. This child, from where he was standing, his parents did lie to him. He was right. He wasn't wrong. His parents had said a long time, but it was, for him, a long time was, was a lot less than theirs. So that'll help us as we dive into this, because worldview is just that. I'm not from Maine. I am not a New Englander. I grew up on Long Island, New York, and so I, I then moved up into upstate New York and realized very quickly that I'm very different than the people I'm around. The way I look at things, as a mechanic, I expected the parts store to be able to get me the part the same day, or at least tell me that it's on its way, you know, at the very least, instead of just saying, we don't have it. Yeah, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to order it? Or and this is what we face when we're dealing with the culture around us, even the person next door. Here in America, we're called a, a melting pot. We have so many different nationalities and cultures. I myself have uh, Welsh, German, Irish, French, because I know my name. I've, I've done the research on my name. It's, it's a French Huguenot name. So we're a blend of cultures, and then we have people coming in. We have... Uh, Migrants coming into the United States, their culture is totally different. But these are the people around us God is asking us to reach. 
And I would say to be able to do that, we need to have a good grasp of worldview. Well, why? What's worldview got to do with sharing the gospel? Well, like this child, your story might not, your, your transmission of the gospel might not be understood because, why? The worldview is so drastically different. You have to be looking for that point of empathy, that point of understanding between you and that other culture where you have a jumping off point to share the gospel. And I already shared that worldview matters because Christ is preeminent. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's a whole other sermon I have, ambassadorship. But I want to share what ambassadorship is. When, I got, when someone's called as an ambassador to a nation, they don't just go. They study. Often they learn language. They study the culture. Because you can't be an effective ambassador if you don't understand the culture you're going to. Because you will offend. Not possibly if you do not understand the culture you're going to, you will offend. Perfect example. In Senegal, when someone, you invite someone to your house, and they say, oh yeah, I would love to. When? Wednesday, 6 o'clock. Come for dinner. Bring your family. Great, we'll be there. Michelle and I prepared the house and got ready in 6, 7. Well, we know they're on a different time frame than us. 7, 8, 9. You call, there's no answer. They're, they're ghosting you. And to find out that uh, never intended to come. I was supposed to understand that in their culture. That was because it's a shame-based culture for me to say, no, Jonah, I'm not coming to your house tonight. That would be a terrible shame on him. So I would never say that. I would just say, sure. And so I asked a Senegalese person, so how do you know? Well, I'm Senegalese and I hit it maybe 80% of the time, maybe 90% of the time, and sometimes you just get it wrong and you just got to be ready to work without it, you know? Oh, okay. That's worldview. It, it is, as sent as an ambassador, you're, you're going out as an ambassador. We have, here it says right here, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's not possibly you are an ambassador. It says you are an ambassador. The moment you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you become an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this needs, needs some work. We, we, need to, we need to know God's word. We need to study uh, Workmen not being ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In that is understanding the worldview of those around us. So that we can be effective ambassadors, not offending them unnecessarily. The gospel is offensive. The moment you mention Jesus Christ, it's offensive. You can talk about religion, you can talk about God, but the moment you talk about Jesus Christ, that is offensive. But that's not you offending them unnecessarily. You, if you've taken the precautions, the steps to learn culture, to understand where the person's coming from, you've taken the steps necessary to alleviate at least some of the offense that you might have a better opportunity to share the gospel. You're not un unintentionally hindering the gospel, which I don't think any of you want to, would, would want to do. But honestly, I've done it. I will do it. It will happen again. 
but we have to try to avoid it if possible. To help us better understand worldview uh, and how the Apostle Paul um, was grappling with it in, in the culture he was working in, I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became as one not having the law. Though I am, my, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in the blessings. What is the Apostle Paul talking about here when he says he became a Jew to the Jews? Wasn't he already Jewish? Should we go out and buy a yarmulke, phylacteries, get a copy of the Torah? Start attending temple on Saturday? Becoming as though lawless. Should, should we practice lawlessness? Become as, the we, as a weak, going about losing our, our muscles and letting our mind wither? What is Paul saying here? Become a Muslim? Get a prayer mat, a copy of the Quran, prayer beads, and start saying the, the five prayers during the day? Fulfilling the pillars of the faith. I would argue that the Apostle Paul is proposing that to be effective at sharing the gospel, he must get out of himself, be willing to look at the world around himself through the eyes of the culture around him, and see it as they see it as much as possible. Not becoming a Jew, but understanding the worldview of a Jewish person enough so that we may share Christ with them, their Messiah. That's the end goal. Our end goal is to be able to share Christ. I think we see a perfect example of Paul doing this. I told you I was going to jump around and use Paul in the Scripture because I don't trust myself. But we see a good example of Paul doing just this in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. And you're all probably familiar with it. It's a sermon on Mars Hill. So it's Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. As we read there, we see that Paul was walking through Athens. He was strolling through Athens. 
But what was he doing as he's strolling through Athens? What was he doing? He was observing. He had his eyes open. He was looking at the culture around him. And what did he see? He saw an altar to the unknown God. Wow. I see you're very religious. As I was walking through, I see this altar to the unknown God. Let me proclaim to you what you worship in ignorance. Let me proclaim to you who he is. And that would not be offensive. They, they label it the unknown God. I know, I know this God personally. He is my Lord and Savior. Let me declare him to you. And they did. They listened. So Paul could see that they had a yearning in their hearts. And they even, we see it in Senegal, they worship all sorts of spirits. They invite them in, actually. And here, the people of Athens were craving. And I, I like Paul. He's a good, good example. But personally, never walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So let's go to the one we have the best example from, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we see, my example I chose for this morning was Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And this is one where Jesus is with Zacchaeus. And we all know this, as if you were in Sunday school as a little kid, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. But let's, let's read about what Jesus, how he interacted with Zacchaeus. So chapter 19 Starting in verse 1 says this, He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was going to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone for, of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And there's this word in there that catches me, they, 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 they. Who, who are these they? These are the religious leaders. The they is those that were looking down on Jesus why? Because he went to a sinner's house and ate with him. But what did that lead to? What did humbling himself and going to the sinner's house lead to? Salvation. Salvation came to that house that day. Had Jesus been attuned to the religious leaders, or dare I say what the church folk will think of you? Because I can relate to a time when I 
was coming out. I worked at a cross-country ski area upstate New York, and I was coming out late from work one night out of my, my shop, about 11 o'clock at night, and I saw my ski area manager coming out at the same time. His face just looked down. I said, what's up? I said, do you want to go get something to eat? He said, that's a great idea. And then suddenly he goes, oh, Bo, the only thing open is the Riverwood. It's a bar. I said, that's okay. He says, but you don't go to the bars. I said, no, but I can have a meal with you. And so we went. And sure enough, just as I thought, my pickup truck had welding by Bob Columbine written on the side. I, I tried Bob for a while. It didn't work, so it's just Bo now. It might have said Bo. I don't know. I might have changed it to Bo by that point. But sure enough, at church, what happened? Guy came up to me. I saw your truck. Well, a lot of people see my truck. State trooper that's on, sitting on the road when I go flying by, he sees my truck too. A lot of people see my truck. But I know what you're saying. You saw my truck at the Riverwood. And I said, shame on you. Because you didn't ask me why. You never talked to me. You just judged me. I said, you don't know what happened. And right now, when you're ready, you can ask me. But that's what Jesus was dealing with. That kind of condemnation for reaching out. And if you are doing what God has you to do, there will be people that judge you. There will be people that say, you shouldn't go there. The opportunities I have, what did Jesus say? He came to save the lost. didn't come to heal those that don't need healing. He came to heal those that need healing. And the self-righteous people don't need healing. They need brokenness before they can be healed. Going to the self-righteous people is not a bad thing, but if you're going to them to cater to them so that you're not judged by them, that's the problem. Jesus didn't think about what other people think. He thought about the need of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed up that tree not just to see Jesus, but he had a yearning in his heart, an ache in his heart. And that is obvious because when Jesus came to his house, very quickly, very quickly, that man gave his life to Christ and he got saved. And if Christ hadn't gone, that opportunity would be missed. And I can say in my life, I've had the Holy Spirit pricking my heart to speak to someone, do something. Okay, okay. Not right now. It's embarrassing. I'll give you this one. I don't know if you all, you all heard of Word of Life. Jack Wurtson. He told me a story before he died. And he had lived nine years up in Scroon Lake alongside this other family. Nine years. Now, the day I met Jack Wurtson, he grabbed my hand and wouldn't let go of it. I was like 21, 22. He wouldn't let go of it. And he was having a conversation with Harry Ballback and, and some of the other people, George Tice, and he wouldn't let, and I yanked back a couple of times, but he's an old man. I don't want to pull him over. So I just stood there. And for like 20 minutes, he's talking to these guys. And finally, when he finishes, he says, young man, if you died right now, where are you going? 
and why. Wow. He wanted to make sure I knew. I laughed. I got a big laugh at it. I thought it was great. But then the same man, the same man years later, before he died, shared with me, for nine years I lived alongside this person. This is not something he shared in a big audience. This is something he shared with me. And he said, one night I was getting ready for bed. My wife wasn't home. I was by myself. And he says, I was getting a drink of water or something before I went to bed. And I just felt compelled to go share with my neighbor. And he said, okay, Lord, I'll do that tomorrow. Tomorrow. Now, we think of Jack Wurtson, you see that attitude where he wouldn't even let my hand go. And so he went up to bed and he couldn't sleep. And he got up again and he's like, Lord. And now he's arguing with God. Now, 9 o'clock was when he first got that urge. Now it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. He says like 12.15 before he's putting his slippers on and his robe this is totally stupid, Lord. I think it might have been almost 1 o'clock by the time he got himself to the door. And he's like, did just what all of us would do. Hoping that no light goes on in the house, right? And he said, I honestly knocked as faint as I could. And I made it halfway back to my house and I saw the light come on. Oh! Darn! And he goes back to, and this is really what he's sharing. He goes back to the door. What do you say to someone when you wake them up, it's one in the morning, and you've lived, lived alongside them for nine years? How many times did you see him when he was mowing the lawn? You stopped, you shared about the, the weather, the day, but he never shared the gospel. And so he starts praying. He's like, Lord, this is totally stupid. The guy's not going to listen to me. He's going to be mad at me. And he just Blurts out, you know, I just felt really compelled by God to come share with you. He says, I've never shared. I've lived alongside you. Can I come in? And the guy lets him into the kitchen. He shares with the guy for about 45 minutes. And the guy makes a profession of faith. Worse than that, now he goes up to get his unsaved wife. Bring her down to the kitchen. Now, you don't wake mama up. It's just, you don't do that, you know. Mama's not happy. And he says, she comes down and She's cussing and cursing. What is he doing here? What is, look at the hour. No, honey, sit down. Just go ahead. Tell her the same thing. This couple came to know the Lord that night. And so about 3 o'clock in the morning, 3, 3.30, Jack moseys on back to his house and gets up into his bed, goes to sleep, and he's only asleep about three hours when he hears a commotion. He looks out his window and there's the EMS in the driveway. The man had a massive heart attack that night and died. And so I have been in Jack's position. I have ignored the call of God. I have op- had opportunities where I wasn't bold. And the Apostle Paul actually asked for boldness. Well, I want to ask you this. Well, I want to give you this one other illustration. Because when it's really key to have that jumping off point in someone's life, especially for Michelle and I, where we're truly cross-cultural, but even for you, 
You have neighbors that come from all over the world. And what can you have in their life? And I want to share a story about um, Don Richardson and his wife, Carol, who went to Indonesia, then Papua New Guinea. And there's a book that Don Richardson wrote. It's Peace Child. I met the Peace Child, his son. His son actually taught us in a, in a course that we had the opportunity to take. And when they went to this tribe in Papua New Guinea, all missionaries that had gone before them were killed. And they're in a little dugout canoe, and it's raining. This is the story as I was told. And they're heading to the shore, and they got their little baby. Don turns around and gets the baby away from Carol's wife, and as the boat's approaching shore, he reaches up with a child like this to the, the warriors that are on the shore. The warriors are there for only one reason, to kill them. And, but they didn't get killed. They began to live with the tribe and learn. And by two years in, they had learned enough of the language to share the gospel. They'd been sharing the gospel and it was going nowhere. And these three tribes in this one area were just slaughtering each other back and forth. And finally, Don and Carol couldn't handle it anymore. The gospel was having no impact. It wasn't going anywhere. And finally sat the tribe down and said, we cannot continue this way. We cannot continue to minister amongst you and share with you and have you killing your neighbors. If this is what you're going to do, we have to leave. Tribal council got together real quick, and Carol was a, was a nurse. Well, they, they might have liked Don, but we don't want to lose Carol. She's saving our lives. So the, the tribal leader, the chief, did something that was cultural for them. We wouldn't get it. He took away a newborn child from his wife. Took it away. Had all the tribal leaders, brought all three tribes together, and all the warriors stood there. And he took his child and presented it to each one of their warriors, and they laid their hand on it. Then all the other tribes, the other two tribes. And then he gave his son to one of the tribes. And... It's called a peace child. So long as my blood lives with you, I will never attack you. And Don very quickly realized why they weren't killed when they came to shore. Why? He held his son up. He didn't know that he'd given his son to them, but he had. It's called a peace child. So then he takes that, and the next few months following that, starts sharing about the true peace child, the one who came to bring salvation to everyone. The whole tribe came to faith. The surrounding tribes have come to faith. Not only that, they've wanted to send missionaries to America because we're killing each other. So for Michelle and I, what does this look like for us? It means leaving our culture of origin, learning a second language, going to people that aren't like us, and having them in our home and learning how to figure out when they're going to come and when they're not going to come, and dealing with it when they don't, reaching out to them and loving them where they're at, learning some of their, their tribal language, learning French, and, you know, 
it works. Because I have been asked, why have you left America? I would never give up that opportunity for my family. I gave it up for you and your family. That buys me something. And for you, what does it look like for you in this community? What does it look like using that worldview example, the peace child or something? When you study other religions, I'm not saying study them, to learn them, to become, but it's good to know what they believe and why they believe it. Don't refute with them. That's not going to win them. But you can sometimes find like something like the peace child, a point of leaping off. Later, when we share, I will share some things with you that I have learned in the culture where I am and that Michelle has learned for those leaping off points. And remembering this, when we read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 say this, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together. I stand before you today assured that Jesus Christ has not left himself an inroad into somebody's life. There is something that you can find. We have to look for it, though. If you're not looking, Paul was looking. Paul was not walking along like this, just wandering through Greece, Athens. He was looking expectantly to find that point of connection, of empathy, a jumping-off point, a bridge that can be used to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, if you're on an airplane, you could hand someone a track. You're never going to see that person again. That is a totally different scenario than your neighbor or someone that you interact with at work. If you did that to them, that could be considered offensive. It might be a, you know, the barrier. But at the same time, there is a way we can find to share the gospel with that person who needs it. Who is it in your circles that, needs, that you need to begin to understand their worldview so that you can discover a bridge that, the gospel, that God has put in there for you, embedded in it, that you can share with them? They're there. Romans 10, 12 says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And we can go on and say, how can they call if they don't, don't hear? But I would also say, if the ambassador is doing a poor job, they can't hear. And I will share this with you. And sometimes, I, almost, I, I think I almost always share this, Jonah. Jonah's job is not to reach Freeport with the gospel. Hear that and understand that. According to the Bible, Jonah's job is not to reach Freeport with the gospel. His job is to equip you and to pray for you and to minister to you so that you can go out. The ministry is yours. His job is you. Then your job is to reach out beyond this. And too often, we find ourselves in Christian circles where we seldom have those people that don't know the Lord. Our pastor at one point said to us from our sending church, I, he 
confessed it publicly to the whole congregation. He says, I really found that I have no gospel witness to unsaved people. He said, but I have identified three people in my life, and I am going to make a concerted effort to share the gospel with them. My dermatologist, my barber, and the person who pumps my gas. And he came back week by week, and he shared. And do you know what that did to the congregation? That empowered the congregation. They started going out and do the same thing. We find ourselves, even Michelle and I overseas, it's so easy to start to be hanging out in the missionary circles and not going out into Zacchaeus' house. Because you know what? Zacchaeus' house is not comfortable. Do you know what's happening in Zacchaeus' house? It's a wild bash. There's alcohol. People are getting drunk. There's things that are inappropriate. There's certainly words you're not used to hearing lately. But that is where people, and I'm not saying we live there. I'm saying we go in and it tells us what to be very aware of ourselves and be, be cautious. But if you don't have those unsaved people in your life, you're not putting yourself in a position, whether it's inviting them into your house or going to their house, and I say you need to be doing both. And then studying them and helping to understand how can I share the gospel with this person. We won't be effective at doing what we're called to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says this, in a, favorable time, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today is the opportunity. I, I beg you, I implore that you don't leave here without talking with someone. I'm, I'm available. Jonah's here. There's others that can share the gospel with you. You can have a saving faith before you leave here. But there are other people out there that need the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission has a couple of plaques when you come in the door. And one says, there are billions of people in the world that don't know the Lord. The one alongside it says, we're not okay with that. And we need to be that. We need to be not okay with the fact that people in this community are dying that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't save them all. What did the Apostle Paul say? I do this so that I may save some. And I think he understood, and I don't think he was saying he saved them. But what he's saying is I put myself out there so that they'd have the gospel. And when you put yourself out there, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm telling you, going to some of the feasts and things that we do in Senegal are uncomfortable. And when I was here, I put myself in places that are uncomfortable. But it's where the people that need to hear are. Seek out how you can be involved at saving the lost. And I'm going to close in prayer right now and leave this to you. I am not saying that I am better than you. I'm saying that I am flesh and blood like you. I need the encouragement, your prayers. As the Apostle Paul said, pray for me that I might have the boldness. This is the Apostle Paul who has suffered and been beaten, 
for sharing the gospel. He's been imprisoned for sharing the gospel. And at the moment he's writing this, he's in chains for the gospel. But what's he praying for? Boldness. Michelle and I need your prayers, and we will be praying for you, and you need to be praying for each other, for the boldness to reach this lost and dying world with the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, Creator God, we come before you uh, at the close of this uh, sermon, Lord God, and I just thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins that we might have eternal life. I thank you that you softened our hearts that we might yield to you, Lord God. And I thank you for the people who came into our lives and shared the truth, Lord God. And I pray now for Michelle and I, and I pray for First Baptist Church of Freeport, Lord God, that we would be empowered, Lord God. We would have a holy boldness, Lord God, that we would be compelled to seek out and save the lost, Lord God, that we would seek who it is that you have in our lives that we need to be sharing with. Also share with us, Lord God, uh, those tools like the Apostle Paul was using in Athens. What is that worldview point that we can use, that we can leverage with this person that we might be able to share with them? What is the peace child analogy that might help us share the gospel with these people who need to hear? And Lord God, I pray that when you speak to us, we'd have the humility to yield. So often when you speak to us, um, I myself have done the same thing that Jack has done tomorrow, Lord. Help us to have that, that urgency in our hearts for the lost, Lord God, that we wouldn't want to put off for tomorrow what we could do today, Lord God, that your name might be glorified. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.